0: This is a picture of my wife. She is pretty. I, I, I did very well for myself. I, I'm well aware that something mysterious and miraculous happened because she is very, very beautiful. And I am, well, you know. Right? And so, but anyway, this is one, this is one of my, this is probably my favorite picture of her. I actually took this picture on the beach South Carolina. And I love this picture. I really like this picture of her. I don't I don't know why. There's something about it I just really love. But here's the thing about this picture. This picture does not tell a good story. Julie now she tells a great story. In fact one of our favorite things is in our family is when she starts telling a story that she thinks is funny because she will get so cracked up that she cannot talk. And the rest of us are like, finish the story, but we're also laughing. We haven't even heard the story, but we're dying laughing because she's laughing. Am I right, girls? I mean, my girls are back there in the back. And, and so, you know, this, this doesn't tell a good story. She tells a good story. And you know what? This picture is also very uncomfortable to cuddle with. <laughs> it, it, it is. It is. It's got these sharp edges and these corners. It doesn't make me laugh, and and it it, it doesn't call me out when I need to be called out because I tend to be unbelievably stubborn, and I at times need her to intervene and tell me that that I'm being a moron. Every guy in here, you ever been a moron, and you needed somebody to tell you that you're being a moron? I need that sometimes. I'm not saying I like that, but I'm saying I need that. And uh, and so this picture never does those things for me. It it just sits there. That that's all it does. And and I also want to say that this picture is a horrible kisser. (laughs) Horrible. Some of you are like I really did not need that image in my life. Um, So I'm sorry for that. But 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 uh, this is just a representation of her. It is not her. And I've made no vows to this photo. I, I've made no promises to this photo. I, I, don't, I don't need to spend time uh, with this photo, and if something were to happen to this photo, we live in it there'd be no lamenting on my part because we live in a digital age, and I would just get another one printed. And so uh, even though this is a very, very beautiful representation of, of who my wife is, it is not my wife. It's just a picture of my wife. And some of my wife's beauty can be seen here, but the, but the whole of my wife's beauty is completely missed by this because although I find her very physically attractive, which is, you know, really helps in marriage, but there are, there are all these levels of Julie to, uh, that, that make me love her even more. Her physical beauty is a nice side of it, but the way she tells the story and the way that she is, that she is wholly unimpressed with me, those are things that are good for my soul most Most of the things that I love about her don't even show up in this they're they're unseen you, you 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 might be able to catch a shadow of them, but they're unseen now, I say all that because what we're looking at this morning hebrews chapter eight, nine, and ten they are are they are unbelievably re- repetitive and if It's as if the author of Hebrews is saying, okay, if you don't get anything else, I say in this book, you have to get this. And so 12 times in three chapters, he's going to talk about things that that are symbols of something, but they aren't the actual form that they represent. So he said it 11 times already, and today we're going to look at number 12, Hebrews chapter 10 Beginning in verse one, and this will all make sense as as we as we move through this. Let's read Hebrews ten one together. For since the law has uh, has but a shadow of the good things to come, which the good things to come is Jesus, by the way. Uh, since the shadow has but a shadow, the, excuse me. Since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year. Make perfect those who draw near. Now, if you have been here the past several weeks, this is the same argument that the writer of Hebrews has laid out for us in chapters 8 and chapter 9. And God came to Moses and gave him the Ten Commandments, and and the Ten Commandments are morality 101. That's all they are. They are the simplest rules in all of humanity, right? There's nothing complex about them. uh, There's nothing overwhelmingly difficult about them. And few of them, a few people will argue their validity. They will argue about whether, about where they should be posted. But very few, if any, will argue whether or not they are right or wrong. You'll, you're, for example, you'll be hard pressed to find a man that will argue that it's good and right for your soul to be a habitual liar. You, you, you won't find that guy. And if you do find that guy, I just say, don't trust him. <laughs> right? Uh, you'll, you'll be hard pressed to find a man or a woman who says, no, you should steal everything always. I mean, if it's there, it's yours, take it. And if you do find them, whatever you do, don't, don't invite them in your house. That's all I can tell you right now. You're probably not going to find a guy that says what's good for my marriage and good for my soul is that instead of putting my time and energy and effort into my wife, I'd rather have my neighbor's wife. Yeah, that's just not healthy. So the Ten Commandments are just Morality 101. They're not complex, and yet we have all found them impossibly difficult, actually completely impossible to follow perfectly. And so we fail at the very basic level of morality. We just don't pass. We don't cut the mustard. And and I can prove that. Uh, Let me just take a little survey informal survey how many of you have ever told a lie let me see your hand the ones who didn't raise your hand well we know (laughs) there's just another one to add to the list right so so anyway God in response to the fact that we could not keep the simplest of rules God instituted the tabernacle system because he did it because he is a just God meaning that he he, his character demands perfect justice. Therefore, He cannot let sin go unpunished. That's what it means. It would, it would be like you saying, I'm a man of integrity, but I'm just going to let this little thing slip. Well, that means you're not a man of integrity. And if God is holy and just, if He says, well, I'm just going to let this sin go, I'm just going to ignore it, that means He is not holy and just. He cannot be holy and just and just ignore sin. So he institutes the tabernacle system, and the tabernacle system was this situation where the Israelites would come in, and they'd talk to their priest, and they would say, I've sinned against God, and, and so the priest would roll open the scroll, and he'd say, look at them and so them, say, yes, you have sinned, look at what he says, which is always pleasant to have somebody say, you have sinned, right? Uh, and yes, you have sinned, and he says, don't do that anymore, which, which is great advice, Right? <laughs> But but extremely difficult to follow. And then the priests would kill an animal to pay for that past sin, and that was the system in which they were stuck. But the problem was the problem, according to Hebrews 10:1, is that the tabernacle system didn't work. It did not work. And, and what happened was and, and pay attention here because what what happened then happens just as much in 2022 as it did back then what happened was that people then got stuck in a ritualistic religion that did not set them free from the shame the guilt and the sin that was in their hearts they got stuck in this ritualistic behavior of the tabernacle and, and, and were never actually set free from their sin. So they'd come in and they'd say, I, I, I've committed adultery and they'd, they would, uh, or you know, whatever, they'd say, I lied. And they, and they, would, they would offer the sacrifice to cover their sin. Then they would leave there, but they still had the guilt of the fact that they lied and they would walk out just to tell another lie. There was no, no freedom in it whatsoever. And so they were were kind of doomed to week after week and year after year after year do the same religious things that brought about the same dead-end results. Hmm, Sound familiar? Mm -hmm. Let's go on to verse 2. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. So he, here's what he's saying. He said, he said in verse 1, and now he's saying in verse 2, hey, listen, it's not working. You keep coming in. You keep confessing your junk to the priest. The priest continually tell you what to do. You keep killing animals, and yet you have to keep coming back over and over again. It's, it's sort of like taking medis, medication to, to get well, but the medicine's not working. And so what you do is the medicine is not working, so you just say, well, I'm just going to take more medicine. I'm going to keep taking more and more of this medicine that's not working to try to get healthy, but it's not working. And he's saying, if it worked, if it actually was able to remove the guilt of your sin, then, then you would quit coming and offering more sacrifices. You, you wouldn't need to. He said, if it finally worked in your hearts, if you finally confessed it and killed the animal and walked away and you were finally free from it, you would not have to come back to the tabernacle again. But you keep coming back. Let's keep going. Verse 3. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Now, that's interesting, though, because God said, hey, I want you to sacrifice these bulls and goats for your sins. And now you have God saying, but they didn't really remove sin." Didn't really remove sin. Then he's going to explain it. Verse 5. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. So if you remember from last week, we talked about the passage in Psalms where, where God said, I don't, I don't want your bull. I don't need your goats. That's not what I want. That does not please me. I'm not after your sacrifice, I'm after your hearts. And so you, you, you're just giving me your bulls and your goats and you're not giving me your heart and I'm not interested in that kind of a sacrifice. And, and because we got this thing confused and we think he wants our offering rather than wanting us, He came himself to solve this thing. And that's what it means when it says, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. All right, so so God's going, this is is completely messed up. I'll solve it. I'll fix it. Now let's keep reading verse seven. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written to me in the scroll of the book, When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Verse 9, then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away, this is so important, he does away with the first in order to establish the second. So Jesus came, he's saying, Jesus came to do away with the old way of coming to sacrifice every time you failed every time you sin he said i came to do away with that system even though you 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 keep bringing these things even though you've worked so hard trying to do what's right i came to do it do away with that whole system the the old way was you trying to barter with god all the time the the old way uh of, of coming into his temple and going i've blown it again Here's what I'm going to do. I'm I'm going to do better, Lord. I'm going to to stop doing this here. Uh, I'm going to stop doing that here or or here. Take this sacrifice. Let this sacrifice appease you for my failures. And and Jesus is saying, hey, the old way is not working. I'm done. I'm coming. I'm removing this old system and I'm establishing a new one. So let's read about the new one because this new one is is, uh, just... Great, 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 great news. Verse 10. And by that will, that's, that's the will of Jesus to come and remove the old system and establish the new system. And by that will, we have been sanctified. Now this word sanctified, it's not a word we use a lot. You know, I doubt that anybody in casual, casual conversation by the water cooler at work it came up and used the word sanctified. But it's just a word that simply means to be set apart for God. That's what it means. And, and so that when, to be set apart to God. The, the fact is, that's where we were meant to be. You were created to be set apart from God. So for God, so that what you could say that it means to be put in the proper place. The place that you were created to be. So sanctification is God taking our hearts and our lives and placing them where we were created to walk and dwell in the first place. It's really the idea that Ecclesiastes 3.11 kind of unpacks the best. How many of you ever heard that phrase where somebody says, there's a God-shaped hole in your heart? You ever heard that phrase, that only God can fill? You ever heard that? Well, here's really where we, I think where they get that idea, because Ecclesiastes 3.11 just simply says that God has put eternity in our hearts. And it means that there's this kind of gaping eternal hole in us that nothing is going to be able to fill except our eternal creator. And we get in trouble because we're constantly trying to fill that longing and that that that, that, that hole with temporary things. We want more money or more fame or more sex or whatever it might be. And we're constantly trying, it might be alcohol or drugs, and we're constantly trying to fill that hole with, temporary earthly things and he says it won't work because the only thing that's going to fill an eternal hole is something that's eternal and the only thing that's eternal is God so that's what he's saying and and that's why we can become very very successful or very very popular very very powerful and still be lacking or still feel something gnawing at us because only what is eternal can fill a hole that is eternal and nothing here is eternal nothing and that, that's kind of this uh, idea, I want to put you in the place where you're created. I want to put you in this place where you were created to be set apart for me, to have this relationship with me, to know me as your Lord. Now now back to verse 10. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. This is going to be a pretty big idea here. Verse 11 is going to let you know something very, very peculiar about the tabernacle that you may never even thought of. Verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Now here's something that's very, very peculiar about the tabernacle. There were no chairs in the tabernacle. There are no chairs there. You were not allowed to sit down specifically if you were a priest. If you were a priest, you couldn't sit down in the tabernacle because sitting down would be symbolic of the work being finished So a priest was never allowed to sit down in the tabernacle because his work was never done. Why? Because people, no matter how many offerings they brought in, could never have the guilt, the fear, the shame, and the depression, the overwhelming sense of emptiness removed from them because God was not after goats and bulls. He was after their hearts. And so he's saying here, priests would always offer these sacrifices, but they were never able to sit down because their work was partial. Their work was not complete. Their work was lacking. It was never, ever finished. And and then the next line of this text, although it'll mean a little bit to us, it would have made the first century Hebrew gasp because it would have been blasphemous to them. But look at what happens because Jesus is going to play this whole thing very, very, very differently. Verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time. Now, I want to I get to what I want to get to, but, but let me ask you a question right there. How much of time is incorporated in all time? Yes, yeah, not a trick question. Some of you are like, uh, sounds like all of it. Yes, it's all of it, all of time, which means... That, that the sacrificial, sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross covered sins of the past, because that's part of all of time. It's, it covers sins of the present, which is part of all of time, and it covers sins of the future, because that's part of all of time. So the sacrificial death of Christ covered once and for all, all sins. Now, now watch this and look at what he does a- after this. He says in verse 12, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he, he what? He sat down at the right hand of God. See, that's something that we don't, we see that as like, oh, that's kind of nice. You know, Jesus sat at the right hand of the Father. But they're the Jewish person reading that, they're like, the, the high priest sat down? What? Jesus dies on the cross, is resurrected from the dead, and sits down and says, it's over, it's done, it's finished. It's all completely done. The old system's gone. I've established a new one. And I can't wait to get to verse 18. So let's keep going. Verse 13. Waiting waiting from that time until his enemies, he he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. So what you and I are waiting on for right now is is for the enemies of God to be made his footstool. And as soon as that happens, Christ will, will, will return and we'll be done here. Verse 14. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified, those who are followers of Christ. So, on the cross of Jesus Christ, your sins and my sins were covered uh, by the blood of, of Jesus Christ. And, and even, even though the, the fact is, they were all future sins. That's why I say it's all, all time. And you talk about future sins. How many of you sinned before Jesus died on the cross? No, because you weren't alive, Right. So all of your sins have come after the cross of Christ, which tells us that if there's forgiveness available for you, then that means that his cross, that sacrifice, what he did was was enough to cover all past sins, all the sins of the people at the time when he died on the cross, and everybody who comes afterward, his blood can cover all of those sins. That's what he's saying. That's what it means. And and it means that, he does that so that in this moment, he, he said he has perfected, that means that in this moment, we can stand perfect before the living God. And that is unbelievably hard for us to get our minds around because we know we're not perfect, and yet he looks at us through what Jesus did and says, I consider them perfect. They're clean because Jesus paid it. He paid their debt. And it's really, really hard for us to get our minds around because most of us have been taught the tabernacle system in our lifetime. Most of us are still trying to bring Him offerings to appease Him because of our failures. But we'll get to that. So let's keep reading. Verse 15. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. So the law is no longer an external thing that is put on top of us that we have to bear externally, but instead he's going to write it on our hearts so that out of the overflow from our heart, we will begin to live the life he wants us to live. Do you see the difference there? The bringing the, the tabernacle system was us trying to read that and read the law and lay it on on ourselves and force ourselves to do what's coming in, the information that we're learning from the outside. But he says, I'm going to do something inside of them. I'm going to write my law on their heart so that when their heart is changed out of the overflow of what I'm doing inside of them, they will begin to live the life that I want them to live. It's a big difference. There's a difference. It's not an external set of rules like, you know, dress this way or eat this way or don't eat that or go here, don't go there. It's not a set of rules. It's, a, it's an impression of the heart. It's the Holy Spirit of God transforming the soul. It's not a set of rules. It's, it's that still, small voice of God whispering inside of us, leading us into all righteousness. Now, Now, here's the thing. There are a lot of people, religious people, who don't like this. Because if you say, if you say this, you can't control people. But, but, it, but honestly, it's going to look different for, for every for some of us. Some of us are going to get more freedom than others. Others receive, and, and I, know, I know people that it would be like, I don't like that. You know, pe- people like the rules, they like the law, they like the tabernacle, but he writes on our hearts and leads and he guides us in the paths of righteousness. Now look at the next two verses. They're, they're huge. Verse 17. Then he adds, I love this, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Now that is great news if you know you're a scoundrel. Right? And it will be great news when you finally realize that you are a scoundrel. And here's the thing: some of us think still think we're 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 pretty. <laughs> So we still think we have stuff to offer God as if we have things that, that he needs. You know, we're like, he should be grateful that he found me. You know, he is so lucky. You know, you, you have money or, and you can give it to his kingdom and and that's what you say. But, but you know, that, that's just so sweet of you that, 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 that you would do that, even though the fact is he could have taken it anytime he wanted to. You know, but that's, that's cute. It's sort of like when my daughters were little and, and and they would bring me stuff, and they say, "Here, look what I have for you." And I'm like, uh, "Great, it's my laptop. <laughs> you know, thanks. Uh, it's already mine. Uh, I could have gotten it any time, but thank thank you, baby. I appreciate that. You know, and, and, and that's what it's like. So now, honestly, here's the thing: if you've been with us over the last several weeks. We have said nothing new. In a way, this is just review. I, I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, this I have, I have never seen, I know of no place else in the Scripture where there's three or four chapters in a row where it keeps repeating the same thing over and over and over again to this extent. It's as if the writer of Hebrews is going, don't miss this. This is really big. This is really important. And, and So now it's going to end big. And this is the part I love, verse 18. Where there is forgiveness of these, where, where Christ has come alive in our hearts, where Christ has saved us, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any what? There is no longer any offering for sin. And some of you are like, you mean we're not taking offering? No, we're going to receive <laughs> offerings. <laughs> some of you are like, this place is awesome. How do we join? <laughs> you know, but, but, but no, no, I'm talking about he's not receiving offerings for our sin anymore. So... What just happened is this. Jesus said, After I come into your life, there is no need for another sacrifice to be offered. The shop is shut down. The tabernacle is done. It's over. You no longer have anything to bring to my altar. It's over. It's done. And then we go, well, what, what, about, my, what about my sins? What, what about my struggles? I, I'm so messed up. And, we, and then we bring them and we lay them down and we say, I messed up here, Lord. I'm so str- sorry. I struggle with that. And so I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. I promise you this. And, and Jesus, in response, he just kind of sits back and he looks at us and he says, already paid for. It's already paid for. I'm not accepting offerings. It's It's over well, what about my sins? You died a couple thousand years ago, and I just sinned this morning, Lord. I mean, all time means all time. I'm not taking offerings. And yet so many of us keep dragging things to his altar and saying, I'm going to do this for you, and I'm going to do that for you. I promise this, Lord God. If you'll do this, if you'll forgive me one more time, I promise I'll never do it again. And and I'm hoping that this pleases you. And then I'll start doing it this way, and I'll cut that thing out of my life, and I'll start doing this. And we we keep laying things down at his altar and trying to appease Jesus with our religious activity. And, and 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 all the while he's going, What is all this stuff? What's this junk laying here? And well, I'm just, you know, God, I'm just, I just you have to be upset with me. I just keep blowing it here, and I'm doing this, and I can't shake this, and it just keeps haunting me. And Jesus is going, What, what are you what are you talking about? I'm not taking off anymore. Well, what about my mess-ups? It's paid for. It's paid for. Yeah, I I know you already said that, Lord, but I just keep struggling with this. And he says, okay. And he says, okay, look at me. Look at me. Look at me. It's paid for. It's paid for. So there's nothing you have that's of value to me. Nothing. You have nothing you can bring to my table. I'm God and everything is mine. So take your petty good behavior and get it off of my altar because this altar is covered with the blood of Christ that washes away the sins of all mankind. I'm no longer taking care offerings He's saying what are you gonna offer me? What do you have to offer me? The sacrifice is done The price is already paid and now all he asks is that we be honest with him about all of the junk in our hearts Honestly, that's what he's talking about in 1st John We love this verse 1st John 1 9 says if we confess our sins He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why is that? He's saying, you don't bring an offering. You you don't come to me and try to barter. You don't try to make a bargain with me. It's already paid for. There's nothing you can do to pay for your sins. It's already paid for. So just come and be honest with me about it. Just confess it to me. Tell me what's going on. Confess it to me. And then because of what Jesus has done on the cross, I promise you, He says, I will be faithful and I will will forgive your sin. I will cleanse you from unrighteousness. And because that that penalty has already been paid for, that's what it means when He says He is faithful and just. It is the right thing to do because the penalty has already been paid. Now let me tell you, this whole truth is very, 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 very difficult truth for rule followers. Do we have any rule followers in here? Let me see your hand. Any rule followers in here? Yeah, see, you you know why you raised your hand? You you didn't want to. You didn't want to, but you follow rules. Right? And you're like... uh, No, I don't want to admit that. All right, you know, I got to follow the rules. And that's just who we're earners. That's what we do. We we struggle with this doctrine of grace because so much of our identity is often tied up with being the one that follows the rules. You know, I'm the one that does it right. I'm the one that is good. I'm the one that doesn't do this. I don't do that. I I do these things. And it, it becomes our identity and our identity then so easily gets wrapped up in good behavior. And if you're not careful, you'll become like the people in the parable who worked in the vineyard all day. You remember they came in and worked all day for a certain set price. And then the owner of the vineyard went out later in the, much later, multiple times. He went out later in the day and he hired workers. And, and then at the end of the day, he paid those workers at the end of the, that came in and just worked an hour, the same amount that he paid the ones that worked all day. And they're all, they all throw a fit. They're like, whoa, wait a minute, because they saw him pay them that amount. And they're like, oh, if he paid them that much, he must be going to give us a raise because we worked longer and harder than they did. And then they got paid the, the amount that was agreed upon. And they'd throw a fit and they're angry. And he's like, hey, didn't I tell you what you'd get? Didn't I tell you what I would pay you? Why are you angry that they're getting paid? Why are you so upset about them? And it's because they said, we deserve more because we follow the rules. We were here all day. We deserve more. And it's really, really easy to begin to believe that God owes you more than other people because you follow the rules. And if you're hearing me uh, preach grace right now and you're, and you're already worried about somebody else who will take what I'm saying as a license to go out and sin, I want you to know you're in this dangerous area here because what you're doing is like, oh man, they, they ought to live like me. They, they ought to live like me. If they don't follow the rules that I follow, then they can't possibly be a Christian. And all the rules that we make up to try to define what it means to be a follower of Christ it's really meant to control people and, and grace doesn't let you control people. And it's an unbelievably dangerous thing. And I'm here to tell you, grace is a dangerous thing. Paul fought the same thing because people were saying, oh, grace is greater than when sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And hey, let's send it up so we can get some more grace in here. And Paul says, no, no, God forbid, you don't, you don't understand that. And so grace is a unbelievably dangerous message to preach because people do grab a hold of the banner of grace and then they use it as a license to sin and they're, and, they're, and in response to that there are always people who want to say yeah that's why you've always got to put some qualification, you have to put a but there on, on grace but, but here's the problem, once you do that you've said that the cross of Christ is not sufficient in itself. So it becomes the cross plus we don't drink or the cross plus we don't smoke or the cross plus we, we don't do this, or plus we do this, or, or the cross plus whatever. And, and, and here's the thing, if you add anything to the cross for your salvation, you're off. Right. That's do, do I know that this message of grace is danger, dangerous? I know that it is impossibly dangerous. But you know what? It isn't my place to do anything about how he's decided to be dangerous. What do I think the Lord's going to say if if, if I say to him, you know, I don't really like how you wired this thing, God. I, I think, you know, this grace thing's dangerous. I, my people hear this, and he's like, what? Oh, okay, your people, you know, they, they hear this, and they go, okay, I can do whatever I want. And then they run out and do whatever they want. I mean, I mean what do you think he's going to say to me if I complain to him about that? He's going to be like, oh, okay, it's okay. It's all right. It's all right, Dave. I got it. I, I'm eternal. You're 59. Right? You're so cute, Dave. Just calm down. I got it. I know what I'm doing. It's the grace of God that paid the bill. That's what we have to understand. I'm not talking about, how, you know, that you should or shouldn't live a holy life. The whole, whole point of this is that He wants to save us, so He can write the law, so that we will live a holy life. But it'll come from the inside out, not from rules on the outside in. Right. That's good. That's good. But it's to point out the fact that you can't do anything to earn anything from God. It's a free gift. And it's the grace of God that paid the bill. You'll never know the fullness of Jesus as long as you think you can bring an offering that he likes. As long as you think you've got something that he needs, you'll never fully understand Jesus. You'll never really get his grace. When you really finally and fully become aware of how messed up you really are. And you realize that you can't offer anything to make it right. That's when the grace of God is made real to you. When you realize, man, I am a wreck. My life is a train wreck. I have messed things up so badly over and over and over and over again. And there's not one thing I can do to make it right. And then we find forgiveness. Now I understand grace. Now I understand grace. You'll never know the fullness of Jesus until you understand that you don't bring an offering to his altar. You lie down on it. I don't put an an offering on the altar for Jesus. I crawl up there myself. That's what he wants. That's why he says, I don't want your bulls. I don't need your goats. I'm after your heart. He said, I I don't want you to lay something on the altar and say, here, I'll sacrifice this for you, God. He says, I want you to crawl up on the altar and say, here I am. It's me. All that I've got, which is nothing. Here I am. You don't bring your religious activity. You bring you. And you become the living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God. That's what Paul talked about in Romans 12. A living sacrifice. The problem with a living sacrifice is it keeps crawling off the altar. That's, what it's, that's my experience anyway. But i got to keep crawling back up there and saying, Lord... I know I, I know I crawled off the altar. I know I did it wrong. I know I've sinned. And I don't have anything to offer to you to ask for forgiveness, but I know it's paid for, so here I am. I'm going to crawl back up there. I'm going to give you myself. Here I am. Jesus says, Quit bringing me your stuff. Keep your bull. Keep your goat. Keep your, dare I say it, keep your tithes. You lie down on the altar. Knowing that if I lie down on the altar, all those other things will be taken care of. I'm going to do those things, not because it's a set of rules, but because he's changed my heart. So today we're going to celebrate with another picture, communion. We're going to close with this. Today we remember that Jesus died for us. It is a this communion. It's a picture. It's a symbol it's a shadow of the form. It's just another picture like all these other, other things. Well, maybe we'll just go back to the beginning. You know, I, the, I, I love that picture that I showed you of my wife. It's one of my favorite pictures of her. And I have it, uh, normally, it's not today, but I have it hanging on the, on the wall in my office and I look at it every single day. I love that picture. But here's the thing. If that picture was all I had, then the only thing it would produce in me would be longing. Right? Because I want the real thing. If I go on a trip and, and, I, and I bring the, uh, all I bring was that picture, then you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at that picture and I'm going to be filled with longing because I'm like, here's a picture, but this is not her. I really would rather be with her and it's going to produce a longing for the real thing. And if you're if you're single in here, maybe you won't get this. But it, and maybe if you've been married for a long time, you don't not the same way. But there's, but there, there's this comfort thing that happens after a while in marriage, where if my wife is not there, I don't sleep well. And I'm not talking about when she goes and sleeps on the sofa because I'm snoring too loud, because uh, then I know she's still there. But 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 I don't sleep well when she's gone because I'm used to. The sound of her breathing, and I'm used to her, you know, murmuring something that makes no sense, like, like I told you a few weeks ago, them aren't toilets, you know, like, did you say <laughs> toilets, you know, and if you don't know, you're going to have to go back and watch several messages, because I can't even tell you which one to hear that story in, but it's a great story, uh, but, but there's this comfort thing, Mar- married folk know what I'm talking about, for me, if she's not there, I don't sleep well, and so if I'm on a trip, and, and all I have is this picture there, there would be this longing created in my heart because when all is said and done, I want to be with the real thing, not just a picture. And so I have to wonder how many of us are holding on to a picture and, there, and we're longing and frustrated because we, we were created for the real thing and we have instead settled for the shadow. We're we're created for the reality, but instead we've grabbed hold of a picture. And since the picture might be all that that you know, you just feel like it's impossible to let that that thing go, despite the fact that that, uh, you, you just, like the Hebrews, that you just keep coming back and make the same sacrifices every week with no real change. But the truth is, like the old song, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. All. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. So my prayer is that the dangerous grace of the cross of Christ would lead us to repentance because it's his kindness that leads us to repentance is what the Bible says. And I pray that we would learn to, yes, like the picture, enjoy the picture, but love the reality behind it. This morning, we're we're going to receive communion, and it's a picture. It's a reminder of the death of Jesus. And and we should, it's a good thing to, to say, man, I really love communion. I enjoy it. But it's more important to remember that this is pointing to a reality that Jesus paid it all. This is a picture that reminds us of something very, very real. And it's the real thing for which our hearts long. Would You bow your head, let's, let's pray together. Lord, I, I, just, I just want us to get this because I'm, I'm just, as I said, Lord, I'm just unaware of three or four chapters in a row with such repetition in all of scripture over and over and over and over again. It, it's the law and, and external morality that are just a shadow, it's just a picture that offerings and sacrifice, they're just shadows, just symbols. But God, you are the real thing. Your death is the real thing. You're no longer taking sacrifices. You're no longer taking offerings. You're no longer doing any of those things because you have paid it once for all. And today, God, as we receive communion, we're just reminding ourselves that once for all, you paid our debt. And I pray, God, that in these next few moments, that as we receive communion, Lord Lord God, that you would uh, just help us to be amazed at your grace. Help us to remember that this is not that Jesus died for our sins, but we would make it personal and say, he died for mine. That lie that I told, he paid my, my price, it's paid for. All I have to do is confess it because it's paid for. I don't have to pay for it. Those things that I've done wrong, every other sin I've committed, it's paid for because of what Jesus did. And Lord, I pray you'd help this this act of communion be a reminder that this would be a picture of the beautiful reality of your grace. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.